Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel 15. And we saw last time that Jonathan, a man of the spirit, he attacks, he and his armor bearer, a garrison of the Philistines. In faith, he believed that God would deliver them into his hands. And Saul, the king, who had all the troops at his disposal, blunders through being a king uh, as a man of the flesh. And tonight we're going to see more of King Saul's disobedience and a decline in his rule as a result. Now, I just want to just say this as we start. Um, I've been teaching the Bible for 10 years, uh, in my seventh year as a pastor, and three years prior to that in a Bible study. And I will tell you that this is the most difficult chapter that I've ever had to face. So bear with me as I go through this. Uh, I just want to make sure that you completely understand as we read it. Uh, understand this, that I have a problem with those preachers out there who are the feel-good preachers, who just talk about a syrupy message all the time, that never speak about the difficult things in the Bible, that don't go through the entire Bible because they want to avoid passages like this. Okay, so as I go through it, um, just be patient because you're going to see the light at the end of the tunnel here. So starting with verse 1, it says, Samuel, that's Samuel the prophet, also said to Saul, which is King Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. I love this. You're in ministry. Take it seriously. He was the king. He was the shepherd of Israel. God gave him this important position. You know, imagine all the hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children that he had uh, control over. He was supposed to do a good job. And the prophet was telling them, be obedient. Take it seriously. This is bigger than your position. Unfortunately, there are even some today in ministry that take it casually. And sometimes God puts them on the shelf for a while. That's a sobering uh, picture. Well, any of us who are in ministry need to understand the position is much bigger than ourselves. You know, we are just a, a tool in the master's hand. And if we decide to go our own way, the Lord can use somebody else. I'm going to jump into verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he laid wait for him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Teliam. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Again, probably one of the most difficult passages of scripture to get through, but it is God's word. And let me try to break it down so we can have a better understanding. Number one, Amalek, right, descendants, right, a certain uh, group of people. They were just south of Israel's southern border, and they were the first of the nations to attack the children of Israel as they were leaving Egypt. Now, in Deuteronomy 25, it says the Am Amalekites, Amalek, they laid in wait, and as the children of Israel were passing, they attacked the, real, the rear quarters of the, of the probably close to two million that were passing through that area. Now, if we understand and we know the scripture, that in the back were the women, the children, the elderly, the weak. So these guys were wicked, and they attacked them. They attacked the weakest members, and they didn't have any compassion for them. So they were pretty bad people. Let's look at this a little bit further. Uh, 
the Amalekites, when they fought the children of Israel, okay, this is the case, and listen, I don't have to defend God. He has infinite wisdom. He knows more than we do. Sometimes when we deal with a difficult portion of Scripture, we just need to trust him, and he'll, it'll all be understood one day. But when they attacked the children of Israel initially, uh, they were fighting against God, and they knew it. They knew what God was doing with the Israelites, but they attacked them anyway. And three... When you look at archaeology, you see, again, we, we, we don't understand, attack. And, and God's people were to wipe, wipe them out. Why? It doesn't seem to make sense. When you look at some of these archaeological, and it's very interesting, uh, you follow some biblical archaeology and you see the ruins of these cities that were dug up. These people were so depraved, some of these pagan peoples, that they would take their own children and put them on the altar and burn them alive and sacrifice them to their false gods. What they would also do is they would uh, take, they would kill their children, and they would. I know it's hard to it's hard to get through, but you have to understand why God is is wiping out this disease of this people group. Uh, they also found uh, clay, uh, like pottery jars with the remains of children's bones, and they would bury them. I've seen it; it's pretty weird. They would kill their children and bury them in the walls of their houses for good luck. This is how twisted this society was. And we see it today. I don't know how many of you have seen the videos of the children in uh, some of the Palestinian areas where in school they teach the children to sing these songs about how they want to uh, grow up and blow themselves up and blow up women and children. From little, little three, four, five years old, they indoctrinate them, these cultures. And I will tell you that I know people that have gone to these different countries as missionaries. And they will say, do not, do not, do not let any of the little children sit on your laps because the children are taught to do things that are inappropriate for the pleasure of adults. So when God says to wipe them out, it's a disease. They need to be wiped out. It's pretty bad stuff. I will tell you this too, that I believe, now this is where it gets better. I believe the scripture reveals that if a child dies under the age of accountability, it automatically goes to be with the Lord. Boy, girl, baptism, not baptized, good parents, bad parents, because the children don't know. They're under the age of accountability. So when we read the scripture, we see that. In the, in, if you remember the story about the Egyptians, when they wouldn't let the children of Israel go, and they tortured them and did things to them, that God sent the plagues. The tenth plague was to take the firstborn of the Egyptians if they didn't have the blood covered over their um, doorposts and lintel representing the blood of Christ. So what would happen was, again, this is what I believe, if those children were under a certain age and they died, even though they were from pagan parents, even though their parents were wicked, that God would receive them into his kingdom because they didn't know any better. So in a sense, if it makes sense, and I believe it does, that God was merciful because these kids didn't have a chance the way they were indoctrinated. So when they were, uh, when these villages and these people were eventually killed, the children went to be with God. And I believe that the, the scripture is very clear like that, where if they were to grown up in the state that they were in, they wouldn't have had a chance to get to heaven. So in, a, in a, an odd way, and this is how sinful human nature is. Is it any different today? It's really not any different. You read some of the stories. Um, even the animals, 
The animals were trained. There's actually a group out there. Let me back up for a minute. In Europe, because of people who were perverted, they've actually had the age of an adult drop down in some, some countries in Europe to 12. Why? Because of sick, depraved people. Here, it's 18. You're an adult when you're 18. Well, these people have petitioned government officials and used a lot of money to get these people into, their, um, into the legislature, and they brought the age of, of children or the, an adult all the way down to 12. Six societies. There's other groups out there that uh, are, have petitioned lawmakers to say that it shouldn't be a crime for a human being to have a relationship with an animal. It's out there. It's a very difficult portion of scripture, but you have to understand that when this wasn't dealt with, this sickness and this disease spread into God's people, and then God had to judge his own people because of this sickness that spread. He had to stop it. The Amalekites were a picture of sin, were a picture of the flesh, and were a picture of evil. We think about the flood of Noah, same situation. The people were so depraved that he had to to send a flood on the earth. Right? They were just so far gone. Now here's the good news. The good news is that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the sins of everyone, past, present, and future. Imagine that. The Son of God, perfect in heaven, in his throne, sees that the human race is so depraved. And what could God do? You've seen some of these movies, like these fictitious movies about God's just wiping the people off the earth. God sent his son into the world to die for our sins so that we could have everlasting life. That's what he did. All these sins that were committed from all these pages, even today in 2011 when we read the news, all of those sins, the son of God in his purest form took those sins on himself so that whoever would believe on Jesus would be saved and could have everlasting life and have fellowship with God. See, that's the beauty. My sins, your sins, collectively have been paid for at the cross. That's the good news. That's the hope in all of this. How am I doing so far? (laughs) Not easy stuff here. Um, Continuing. The truth, as sinners, again, we still sin. Even as your pastor, I still have to repent for things I shouldn't be doing. I still have to go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Thank God, Jesus. Jesus paid for my sins. However, as sinners, remember, even those of us who are born again, we are part spiritual now. God has sent his Holy Spirit to reside in us. A part of God actually lives in us and helps us, encourages us, guides us, teaches us. That is an awesome thing. But we can choose on a rough day to be in the flesh. I can choose to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, Joe, don't do that. And just kind of ignore them and say, I kind of want to do my own thing today. So we are part flesh and we are part spirit as born-again believers. It's a very interesting concept. But the truth is, since we're not perfected yet, and we will be. You heard my prayer at the beginning of service in Revelation. All the sin, we won't have to sin anymore. We won't struggle with it. We'll be in God's presence. That's pretty good news. But for the meantime, some things that we read we'll have difficulty with because... Hey, if I was God, I wouldn't have a hell. If I was God, I wouldn't have done that. If any of us were God, we would have screwed up the world a long time ago. It's still running. People are still getting saved. So I'm glad that he's God and none of us are God. So that's, we have to put everything in perspective. Verse 6. Verse 6. 
Then Saul said to the Kenites, which lived among the Amalekites, Go depart, get down from the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from the, from the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. And again, I encourage you, if you have any questions after service, please, I'll stick around, especially in this chapter of Scripture, please ask those questions. So the Kenites were spared as they had shown mercy. They were innocent, so they were allowed to leave before the Amalekites were attacked. However, not all the Amalekites were destroyed. They left the king, they left some of the choice of the, of the herds, but they destroyed the worthless things. This is a picture of when we're partially obedient to the Lord. And we've all been there, and many of us will continue to be there in the future until we're perfected. You see, they were unwilling to utterly destroy them because there was a benefit to be had by sparing some. And we always get in trouble when we tweak God's plan. Understand that. God has a plan for our lives. And we may look at God's plan and really be hearing from the Lord. And we may say, you know what, God? I like that plan, 90% of it. But the last 10%, I just want to put the finishing touches on. Now, if we don't say that with, the, with our lips, we say that with our behavior. We know what's right and wrong. Sometimes we want to do most of what God says, but kind of put our own spin on it for, for a little bit of it. And that's what you see here. It's not a good thing. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, again, the prophet, saying, and he would, he would hold King Saul accountable, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So God was concerned. God regretted what he had done. Now, let's understand this, because in the Hebrew, the synonyms are he sighed or he rude about it. Can God make a mistake? Absolutely not. So when we read the scripture, if we see something where God's not perfect or God makes a mistake, and, and I'm going to explain this, then we have the wrong understanding of what scripture is saying. But God was saddened because the King Saul had so much potential. He, he was very saddened by King Saul's behavior. And again, one thing we need to understand is there's a human being writing this, and he's trying to describe God in human terms. So let's make sure we get that. How can the infinite God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God be described in human terms? Not an easy task for the biblical writers. But Samuel, took it to, he took it to heart. He grieved with God. And I have a question for you. Do we grieve when God grieves? I bet, have many of you actually thought about that? Sometimes when we think of God, we think, well, he's big, he's powerful. He never gets sad, he's probably got real big shoulders, and, um, you know, I don't, I'm not worried about God grieving. But the truth is, God does get sad, because he loves us, he wants the best from us. And God has, has set us forth. Every person in this room has a free will. He set you forth as free moral agents. When you don't come back to him, it saddens him. When we, as God's people do things that we shouldn't do, it saddens him. 
When we as churches behave deplorably to the rest of the world, he's saddened by it. And he was very saddened by the king and the behavior of the children of Israel. And Samuel took it to heart too. When God was sad, he was sad. This guy was a righteous dude, okay? Um, Verse 15 says Samuel grieved, but it could also mean that he burned or he blazed or he had righteous anger. Maybe Samuel had mixed emotions. We've been there, haven't we? Maybe uh, there's an incident that happens and we're really saddened and then we get angry. Then we got to go, we, you know, I see a lot of you looking. I can see everything from up here. Every expression, this is like the catbird seat up here. But it's the truth. See, isn't, isn't God's word amazing? It, it knows what makes us tick. And it, and it explains how we can understand ourselves better and our God better. Verse 12. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed Check this out. He has set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this, uh, the bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. I'm saying those things for emphasis. So when it was somebody else, they did wrong. But when it was we, when I'm involved, we did the right thing. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. (laughs) In, In Spanish, we would say, Callate, right? And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So we see King Saul is a weird guy. I mean, he he was so humble before he was the king, but now he's the king. He's got this high position. He's lifted up with pride. He sets a monument up for himself. Guys do weird stuff when they get into positions of power. You see it all the time. But he was self-deceived. He thought he did something good, but the Lord had issue with his behavior. And in verse 13 If I can speak in anachronistic terms, in other words, a term that's out of the time period, King Saul kind of used the Christian lingo. Hey, blessed are the Lord, brother. Everything's pretty good. Some church people do that. You know, they can say all the lingo and all the words, but their heart's not in the right place. And King Saul's heart was not in the right place. He used spiritual jargon to make himself look spiritual, but Samuel wasn't going to be deceived. Verse 15, it says, the people spared The rest we utterly destroyed. See, Saul was also someone that was not good at taking responsibility. And I think that's a big problem in our society. And we can even be deceived by the things we see on TV or the the culture, our culture that we're immersed in, not taking responsibility. All the king had to do was say, you know what, I really messed up. I really offended God, like King David did, as we'll see later on in the scripture. I'm sorry, Lord, how can I, how can I make it up? How can I change their, my behavior? But there are some that do things that are wrong, they lie, they cover it up, and they deceive others. And this is what King Saul was good at, but Samuel wasn't going to be deceived by it. And there is a time to be forceful with those who are not taking responsibility, especially when they call themselves people of God who uh, are deceiving. We, we're not to give them a platform or a friendly ear or an alliance. And, and as the more I look at King Saul, the guy to me was a manipulator. He rolled with the punches. 
So he tries to deceive Samuel. He, he uses the jargon. Samuel catches him in the act. He says, hey, man, I've been hearing from God. You're wrong. So Saul goes, okay, speak on. What did God say? You know, I'm curious. So this guy could roll with the punch as well, and I believe he was a little bit of a manipulator as well. Verse 17. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, he brings him back before he was the king. Were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners and the Amalekites and fight them against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Now understand this. It wasn't that King Saul made a mistake and God's really coming down hard on him. If you've been with us for the last few months, the, pri the prior chapters, this is a pattern of behavior with the king. And the Lord eventually removes his kingship from him and gives it to a man more worthy. So this is a pattern of behavior. This is just where we are in chapter 15, but there were other chapters that preceded this. Now, Samuel takes King Saul back to the days before he was a king, when he was humble. But the king now has become lifted up with pride. And that is something that we all have to guard ourselves against. When we're young, when we're trying to make our way in this world, we have a tendency to be humble. Now when we start to have achievements, when people start to recognize our talents, when we start making our mark in the world, it can become dangerous because we lift ourselves up to a position where we start acting weird, man. Even our friends from back in the past, they're like, what happened to you? What got into you? That pride seeps in. And this is what happened with the king. He became jaded. He wasn't humble anymore. I tell you what, the Bible, this is, I love reading this stuff because it's good for me too. I mean, the Bible is filled with warnings. Not so God can be, he can be the cosmic killer of all fun. Warnings so that we don't hurt ourselves, you see? These things are detrimental to our own selves and our own futures and our own salvations in, case, in cases. So what happened is the king decided to compromise. Again, he's changing God's plan, you know? Moses was told the second time, speak to the rock and water will come out. And the whole idea behind that was the rock was a picture of Jesus Christ, that rock that people were to, to really cling to. We talked about the cornerstone on Sunday, speak to the rock. Moses was angry at the people, but remember, Moses represented God. He took out his rod and he was so angry, you know, it was tough being a leader sometimes, especially in all them two million people giving you a hard time. So he took his rod, rod, rod out and he whacked the rock and the water came out, and God said, you will not enter the promised land. You misrepresented me. You were angry, and you made the people think that I was an angry and vengeful God. Right? You couldn't go into the promised land because of that. We need to be very careful how we represent the Lord. It's crucial. Verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission in which the Lord had sent me. And brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, here he goes again. This guy can just not take responsibility. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen. He's the king, right? Mind you. And in those days, whatever the king said happened. The best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Weird terminology, right? It was the people's fault. 
And it was, you know, God had a good plan, but it was really a shame to let these things go to waste. You know, we, just, we just changed it a little bit. And he keeps saying to Samuel, it's, he's the Lord, your God. And this is subtle, but I think it's very telling. Sort of like when my wife and I uh, are dealing with my son and, he, the, and he's just being very difficult. And my wife will say, she'll get upset and she'll say, do you know what your son did today? <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. You were part of the, you know, the whole process and yeah. I believe you gave birth to him too. <laughs> the parents in the back are laughing. Your son, do you know what your son did? Well, anyway, King Saul was saying, you're God. And it's subtle but telling. What does your God want from me? You know, get off my back, maybe, I don't know. Verse 22, then Samuel said, and this is really good, has the Lord as, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. In James 3.1 in the New Testament, it says, Let us not all become uh, you know, leaders, teachers, because don't you know we will receive a stricter judgment? If God calls us to be the king or the senior pastor or an elder or a youth leader or the worship leader, he's going to hold us accountable. And the higher the Lord brings us in responsibility and and leadership and in ministry, and the more people that are under you, he's going to hold us more accountable. The Bible says, especially for me, that's, that's a pretty, I take that seriously, a stricter judgment for me. So things that some people could get away with as an average Christian, I couldn't. God would say to me, you've read that Bible several times over. Don't tell me you didn't know that that was wrong and that, that you couldn't do that in front of all those people. So it, it's, it's serious. It's serious business. So just remember that when you um, achieve those heights in your life, that it, there is a greater responsibility that's attached to that. So here he goes. He, he takes this apart. Uh, obedience comes prior to sacrifice. Now, if we're obedient, we don't have to sacrifice as much. Now, in the Old Testament, you know, you had your sacrifices, you had your grain, you had your livestock, and you would give to the Lord. It was a different situation than now. And what would happen is the more you sinned, the more you would have to sacrifice. So God's saying, listen, it's better for all of us if you just be obedient. Because the sacrifices, first of all, won't have to be as much. It won't be as painful to God because you're being obedient to him. And it won't be as painful to the sinner because you won't have to sacrifice as much. So first of all, it's common sense, but also God loves it when we're obedient. You know, he, he wants us to follow his ways, and the, his ways are good for us. I'll tell you, I've read the whole Bible several times and, and studied it, and uh, his ways are good for us. You know, he's not trying to hurt us. Now, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, Samuel the prophet gives a lesson on rebellion and stubbornness that really is, is shocking. Number one, rebellion. In the Hebrew, the word is also bitterness. Uh, there's a, a synonym, there's a component to that. So in other words, those who are in rebellion, you ever watch somebody who's a self-avowed rebel? They're always, they're a rebel. If there's any type of authority, they're going to fight against that authority. Do you realize someone who's really entrenched in that mindset, there's also a bitterness. There's also a bitterness that comes with that. They're always fighting authority. Right? So look out for that rebellion. As the sin of witchcraft, a divination, Why? Because under the auspices of serving God, we really are serving Satan, and we're rebelling against God. 
So in other words, the king, you know, the, he really was a spiritual leader of the children of Israel. Under the auspices, under the facade of serving God, he was really being rebellious towards God. And God looked at that as very serious because especially the example that it set to the others, right? The opposite of rebellion is obedience. Now, stubbornness uh, means arrogance. In the Hebrew, the word stubbornness means to peck at or to stun. It's a, it's a, it's a constant chipping away, to peck at, Right? It's a heart against God's word that translates into a behavior, a worship of other than God, a self-worship in a sense. Again, under the auspices of serving God, it's a flat-out juvenile uh, refusal to do what the Lord wants us to do. Remember what we talked about on Sunday in the New Testament in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 21, the two sons. The one son, the father says, can you go work in my field? You know, he goes, nah, I'm not going to do it. He rebels against his father, but he, he changes his mind, he repents, and he goes and he works in the father's field. The second son says, yeah, yeah, dad, no problem, I'll do it, and he never goes. And Jesus said, which one did the will of his father? It was the first son, because he, he repented and he did the right thing. The second son gave his father lip service. And that's a picture of types of people and how we treat God. You know, do we, some of us may come from backgrounds where we just kind of walked away from God for a while. But in our hearts, we want to do the right thing. We change, and we, we we're obedient to him. And others that just give God lip service. You know, maybe they're in church for the wrong reason. Uh, maybe they've been in the Christian culture all their life, and their heart's really not with God. And God said it was the first one that did the will of the Father. The other problem with rebellion is that rebellion can actually spread quite rapidly. And it often gives an appearance of someone being a free thinker. Well, I would rather people think that I'm, you know, whatever. Um, I just want to follow what the Lord says. Do I always do it? No, of course not. I'm a sinner. But that's my goal. That's my goal. And verse 23, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, God has rejected you as being king. There's always a consequence to behavior. There's always a consequence. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. So it looks like we're getting somewhere here. For I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Was that a confession? Was it sincere? I mean, only, only the people there at the time and God knew if he was really serious. But it almost looked like he was saying, pardon my sin, now come with me. Because remember, if he was to take the prophet with him, and, and make an appearance in front of the people it would look good because everybody revered Samuel. If King Saul ended up going before the people and, hey, what happened to the prophet? Well, what kind of excuse is he going to make? So he really wanted him to be there with him. So uh, was this a conditional repentance? Be careful of those. Let's move on because we have to do this, because we have to work together, because we have to, whatever the case may be. Repentance is repentance with no strings attached, period. Um, Going back to verse 24, I feared the people. Now, there's a book from Ed Welch called When People Are Big and God is Small. Now, that's humorous, but the truth is that there are some that live their lives looking at people as if they're really big and looking at God as if he's really small. King Saul said, I feared the people. How, what does our behavior show, that we have a big God or a little God? If we're worried about what others think about us, 
and we keep putting God on the side, our God is a little God. And he doesn't represent the God that created us. You know, there is, even up to my age and older, there's peer pressure. As a pastor, I get pressure. Am I going to bow to the will of the people if I know something's wrong? Or am I going to dig my heels and say, this is what the Bible says? You know, we, we need to not be people pleasers. We need to be God pleasers. And sometimes that's very difficult to do, depending on how strong your peer group is, right? So, you know, I just want to encourage you with that. Um, it's a good book. <laughs> Verse 26. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel, now Samuel's elderly at this time, he turned around to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, this is good, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. So things get a little dramatic. Uh, the elderly Samuel goes to turn, and Saul's desperate, and he, he goes to grab at something. He gets his robe, and um, the elderly Samuel's not going, and, and he wants him to go, and he ends up ripping his garment, and there's an object lesson there. Okay? Um, when someone is in sin, and someone is away from the Lord, and someone is starting to depart from the Lord, they will get desperate. Here's a picture of a king who's starting to unravel quickly, okay? And you'll notice that if, if you have a check in your spirit and someone is, again, going away from the Lord, you'll find that they'll start to, as they go further and further from God, they're going to start to unravel. And this is what happens with King Saul. Verse 29, um, the Lord is allowed to change his mind. Now, understand this, that Again, this is our human perspective. We're trying to understand an infinite God, so we use English words or Hebrew words or Greek words, but they don't do the God of the universe justice. Okay, Blessings are conditional. The Bible is very clear with the children of Israel, and even for those of us in the church, blessings are conditional. If we follow the Lord and we love the Lord and we want more of the Lord in our life, we're going to be blessed. However, if we rebel against the Lord and we are in unrepentant sin, don't expect great blessings from God. Right? So God, God's gracious. He always holds out the olive branch by sending his son into the world. And we talked about it in the beginning of this study. That was huge. When I started talking about some of the sins that people commit and that was dumped on Jesus at the cross, boy, God really loves us. So he put out the olive branch first. But... If we are in unrepentant sin, if our behavior and our appearance to others, especially as leaders, is misleading and stumbling, um, don't expect those blessings to happen. Right? So this is what happens. Verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Now, we, we might ask ourselves, why did the elderly Samuel change his mind? I think in the next few verses, we're kind of going to see. He, he attends to some unfinished business. Verse 32, then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Boy, that, 
Samuel's got a lot of spunk. <laughs> I mean, it, we know that from the scripture, he's definitely advanced in years at this point, but uh, he just has a fire in him for doing the right thing. And this reinforces our understanding uh, of what the Amalekites were doing. He said, your sword made many women uh, childless, right? And sure, many children motherless. This is, again, this is hard for us. We live in a, a, what we consider a civil, civilized society. And because we don't, we're not used to uh, maybe some forms of capital punishment, uh, even that, that case in Florida with uh, Casey Anthony, I mean, a lot of people were disappointed by that. But sometimes in our society, we wonder, where's the justice? Uh, people are allowed to commit crimes, and if they have a good enough lawyer or enough money or enough pull, you know, it's just different. But back here, justice was swift, and, and I think that's, that's a good thing. Um, so we see that, that uh, Samuel, no compromise, no partiality, no tweaking of God's plan. He does what he has to do. You know what this also shows us? That sin left unchecked will be somebody else's problem. It's all throughout the scripture. What happened in the meantime? Um, what happened in the, those moments, hours, days between Agag being left alive? How many people did he poison with his words? Did he get a following? Did he look for a defense team? I don't know. But Samuel had to, had to deal with this because King Saul left unfinished business. So sin left undealt with eventually becomes somebody else's problem. Now, before you feel sorry for King Agag, his name means flaming or violent. He wasn't a nice guy. Um, I think sometimes too, and if I could liken it to our society, you, you see, I got to, I got to say this young girls, young ladies, teens, girls in college, they're at risk in our society. How many times do we have to, uh, look in the paper and see another young girl is missing. And a lot of us, and we're usually right, fear the worst. They find her, but she's not alive. I mean, this happens at least twice a month that I read in the news. Uh, and then you, they, the cops, or they bring in some, some bad person. I'm, I'm, I'm being nice here. And he, and he looks all sad and, you know, disheveled. And people actually feel sorry for that person. What about the parents that that child was taken from them? That's why we actually, my wife and I, was our idea, if we do this a few times a year, we have the girls' self-defense class here right downstairs. You know, if nothing else, we can teach them how to defend themselves. But the bottom line is, we have a society, we have groupies that follow Charles Manson. And, and I'm not even going to say from the pulpit what, he, what his followers did to this poor pregnant woman, okay? We have followers of these guys in prison who are mass murderers. This is a, a nutty society we live in, okay? So don't feel too bad for Agag because he got what he deserved. Uh, and it's interesting, the person who shows no mercy to their victims when they get caught, all of a sudden they act like a victim? My, my civil rights were violated, you know. They, but listen, the guy's a bad guy, and he needed to be dealt with. Verse 34. <laughs> I think my profession's coming out a little bit. Then, <laughs> then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul into the day of his death. It's sad. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Separation from Saul, that was Samuel's plan. 
You know what's funny? As I, I see in, in the church, when someone commits, let's say, some grievous, heinous crime in ministry, a pastor or something, and they really need to leave. First Corinthians is very clear. They need to deal with the consequences of that sin. They'll also get a following. I've seen it. Pastor falls into adultery. He's got a following. Why is there a following for this guy? The best thing that you can do for that person is to, 1 Corinthians 5, is to let their flesh be destroyed. Send them out of the church. Nobody should be talking to them. Let the flesh be destroyed so that their spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Let them miss the fellowship of the saints. Let them miss that, that Holy Spirit, um, you know, uh, just the, 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 the liveness in the church, the excitement. They need to be out in the world for, the, for a while. That's what the scripture says. Because you know what? A lot of them don't get better because they get friendly ears. But Saul or Samuel had no problem separating himself from Saul, but he did grieve for him. And no doubt he prayed for him, but he had to separate himself from him. These are the hard things in the scripture that we must follow. Okay, some of us crave relationships and they're not good for us. Sometimes there needs to be separation for a while. So as we wrap this up, the sin of disobedience and rebellion, King Saul, against God, it hurts everyone. It hurts God. Like we said in the beginning, God's feelings get hurt. He gets sad. Um, It hurts the sinner. And it hurts any other person who has some type of relationship to that sinner. There's another aspect of this uh, chapter is that what do we do with sin? If the Amalekites were a picture of sin, it needed to be dealt with. It needed to be destroyed before it spread to everyone else. And then we have a situation like the flood. And I would just say this. My prayer is that we learn something from this chapter today in our own lives today, 2011, in our own communities and in our own peer groups. Because if we thumb our nose at God, if we call ourselves Christians, if we are in unrepentant sin, God will eventually step in and he may remove things from our lives and it may be very painful. But the truth is, me personally, I can't imagine having to be shelved from being the under-shepherd of this flock. Uh, It would break my heart. So we need to think, before we get involved in certain things, the effects that it'll have on ourselves, those we love, and our relationship with God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we, we thank you for the bitter and the sweet. We know that there is such... Uplifting, encouraging. Uh, This Sunday is going to be a great portion of encouraging scripture.